0: Well, hello, everybody. Christos Anesti. Okay, we'll try that again. It's uh, Christos Anesti is Greek for Christ is risen. Alithos Anesti means truly he has risen. We'll try it again. Alithos Anesti is your response. Ready? Uh, Christos Anesti. Thank you. Just so. You, uh-oh, I just spilled Demetrius water. I'm so sorry. Okay, trying to move this around and... We have a, Anybody got a paper towel? Could you grab some from the bathroom there really quick? Looks like I've peed all over the floor. So how do you that? I Yeah, thank you. Sorry about that. No, no. Okay. Hey, just uh, as a note of uh, good faith, Leslie um, Harvey, where are you? Leslie Harvey, I've got your checkbook. Uh, I found it on the piano. We found it on the piano. I wonder if she was in morning church. it been there like all day long. Okay. We'll just leave that right there. If anybody... Yeah, I wish her phone number is not on there. So, okay, anyway. So... Sorry, just cleaning up. So this summer actually is going to mark 40 years for me being with Jesus. Long time. I know. And I just got to tell you that it's just changed my life. I mean, I never would have thought I would have been here. I was a good Greek kid. You know, my parents wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or something along those lines. Um But I'll never forget the day that Jesus called my name. I mean, I've been growing up, you know, going to church. Most of it was in Greek. I didn't understand it. But in Sunday school, I learned some Bible stories, which is good. In church, stand up, sit down, kneel down, stand up, sit down, kneel down, do the sign of the cross whenever the old ladies did. That was kind of the way it went. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. Big difference It's kind of the difference between knowing about love and falling in love. And for some people, like me, you can point to a day where before that day, the Bible was kind of a boring book. Christians were hypocrites. Um, Jesus was a good fairy tale. And then after that day, the Bible is God's letter to you. And you get excited to read it. And Jesus becomes as real as your best friends. Now, for some people, it doesn't happen like, boom, all at once like that. But it happens over the course of your life. Now, C.S. Lewis, it happened over the course of of a motorcycle ride that he took with his brother, Warney, who was driving the motorcycle. And then Lewis was in the sidecar. They were going from their house in the kilns to the zoo. Lewis says that when he got in the sidecar, he was not a Christian. Now, He was no longer an atheist. He was at least a theist. He believed in God. He had come that far. But he wasn't a Christian. All he says is, when I got in the sidecar, I was not a Christian. By the time I got to the zoo, I was. And he really can't tell you what happened in that trip that changed things. I've met a lot of people like that. They were raised in missionary homes. They were raised in pastor's homes. They were raised in homes where... Their parents were very, very involved in church, and they believe now, but they really can't point to a certain point. Somewhere in the last 20 years of my life, I made a decision, I guess, because I believe. I can't remember not believing, and that's great, but they have a distinct relationship with the risen Lord. They talk to him, he talks to them. They read the letters in the Bible. They read the poetry in the Bible. They read the history books in the Bible and inform them about how they should conduct their lives. They know Jesus. And Jesus says in John 17 that this is eternal life, that they may know me. That's the point. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. Today we're going to read a story where Jesus calls a man back from the dead. It's before his own resurrection. You know that story, all right? You know that story. But in this particular episode of Jesus' life, he is not only showing himself to be who he said he was, but he is giving you a foretaste of what's about to come, previews of coming attractions in the life of Jesus. It's a long passage. I think you're going to enjoy going through it with me. You've got a Bible open to John chapter 11. You don't, it should be on the wall. Can you read that? If you can't, listen to me closely. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet. And wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Okay, this is interesting. If you stop... If you stop and think about the Bible while you're reading it, like I do, it's wonderful. Because all these questions pop in your mind. You're going, how did they find Jesus? Was there a Jesus network? Was it carrier pigeon? How did they get to him? How did they know where he was? Because if you had read earlier in the Gospel of John, you would know that Jesus was kind of sort of hiding out, not too far from Jerusalem. Because last time he was in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him, and it wasn't quite the right time for him. I mean, he knew why he came. He knew he came to die, but he wanted to die at the right time. Doing God's will isn't always about just doing God's will. It's also about doing God's will in God's time. And so Jesus is hiding out. They find him. Verse four, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Here's a problem with Jesus. You never know whether he's speaking literally or in metaphor. He says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. That's what he tells his disciples. So he waits a couple more days. Put yourself in Mary and Martha's and Lazarus's place at the moment. You have gone to great lengths to find Jesus who is hiding out because your brother is very sick. Your brother, Lazarus, is pretty much the head of the household. He's the male in the family. And in first century Palestine, that meant everything. If you were a woman and you weren't married and you weren't with your father's house anymore, you had no means of support Very often women in that situation would have to go begin sell their bodies to make enough money just to live. If Lazarus died, it's really, really bad news for his sisters, Mary and Martha. So they're worried. They send word. Jesus waits a couple days. Have you ever asked Jesus for help when you were really, really scared? When things looked very, very dire, like you were going to lose that job or you're going to lose that house or you're going to lose that spouse, if he didn't come right away and then he waits and then he waits and then he waits. Anybody here ever had that experience? I have. Ticks me off. Now, it might especially tick Mary and Martha and Lazarus off because they were probably some of his biggest supporters, not only emotionally, but financially. She's the one that poured the expensive perfume. Anointing Jesus before his death, so that the fragrance filled the whole room. And people are going, wait a minute, this is like a whole year's wages. What, what? This, this is expensive stuff, direct from Paris. How could she do this? There's poor people who need to eat, and she's pouring this on. I mean, these people had some means. If you're in a position like I am where you live in the support of people, you know what? This is a really hard thing to do, to wait. Because obviously the Father with whom Jesus was in constant contact was telling him, wait. And what is the reason that Jesus is waiting? Now it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Glory. Now, this is one of those odd passages because we know Jesus to be a very, very humble man from all accounts in the New Testament. He's not the kind of guy who wanted to be served. He was rather the kind of guy who served. As a matter of fact, pretty soon after this, he's about ready to take off you know, his outer garments at a supper for his friends, tie a towel around his waist and go wash their dirty feet like the lowest servants in the house would do. So this isn't about Jesus' ego. It's about his glory. What does that mean? What does that mean? To look at Jesus the way he is to be looked at in all truth and in all reality. If God walked into the room in all of his glory right now, we would all fall down like dead people. We may be disintegrated, just like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. His glory is so immense and so powerful that nations will be vaporized in an instant. This is all for to see what God is really like. To know him for whom he really is, is the goal. This is eternal life, that they may know Jesus. And knowing his glory is a very important part of knowing who he is. And so he waits When you ask God for things, and he doesn't come through for you right away, maybe it's because he wants you to know him for who he really is. Sam Phillips is a great song in her latest record, Help is Coming, Help is Coming, One Day Late, One Day Late. Why is it coming one day late? So that you may know. I could tell some personal stories about being unemployed and out of money and not able to pay the electric bill and, you know, getting the shut off. Not just the shut off notice, mind you, but the shut off of the water in your home with your wife and four little kids. And then God shows his glory, his love, when people come around you and pay the penalty and pay the bill. You learn something in that situation that you wouldn't learn if it came at 1159, right before the stroke of midnight. But we'll go on. Verse 7. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. Finally, he says to his disciples, Let's go back to, to, to Judea. But his disciples objected. <laughs> Rabbi, See, they have been content to stay right where they were, and you're going to find out why. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Now, again, all of a sudden, Jesus, are you speaking in metaphors yet? Again? I know there's about 12 hours of daylight. What are you talking about? Known that for a long time. Yeah, he's speaking in metaphors. There's an old Irish proverb. It says, Never doubt in the darkness what you saw in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what you saw in the light. And what is about to happen is going to be so dark for these guys that they are going to doubt the man they've been following, the man they've been watching for the last three years. It's going to get very dark. And what is about to happen in the light, the reason they've got to go back to Judea is so important that they need to pay attention. It's the trailer before the feature film. It's highlights of coming attractions. Pay attention. We're going to go back to see Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and you better watch what happens in the light because the darkness is coming when no man can work. Of course, he's referring to his own arrest and his mock trial, his crucifixion, and his death, and being in the tomb, that's the nighttime he's talking about. And truly, every one of his disciples just about is going to, well, they're all going to scatter. John shows up at the cross, but they all scatter. Jesus knows when his time is coming. The time is close. Verse 11, then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. There he goes, the talking the metaphors again. Is he? Isn't he? They're not sure. You see, they've been following him for a long time, and they're not sure. Watch what they say. The disciples say, Lord, if he's sleeping, he goes to him get better. They thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there. For now, you will really believe, come, let's go see him. Ah. Jesus is waiting for a couple days after Martha and Mary and Lazarus have been waiting. And it's not just for Martha and for Mary and for Lazarus. This leads me to another conclusion that the sorrow and the suffering that you are going through isn't just about you when you cry out to Jesus for help and he doesn't come right away. Maybe it's for somebody else. Maybe, maybe it's not just about you. Maybe you've got a responsibility to your brothers and sisters and unbelievers everywhere around you to stay faithful. And though he slay you, yet you praise him to borrow a biblical wine. Don't you hate it when the Bible starts talking like that? I just wish it was all comfort and wealth. That's what I wish. Later, later, not right now. All right. Verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Now, this is doubting Thomas, right? The guy that gets a bad rap every Easter. Not tonight. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go, too, die with Jesus. I like this guy. I like this guy. Kind of snarky you know he 's the guy you know i don 't know where he was he was I, it's, maybe he was out in the porch smoking when Jesus appeared to the other eleven or the other ten who were there gathered after his resurrection you know he was like just not there and they get to see jesus and he doesn't and then he comes back in they're going we saw the lord and then thomas is going look i'm not i don't i'm not going to believe that he's risen again until i put my finger in the wounds in his hands and my my, my hand in his side where the spear went he goes i'm not even, I, I i i highly doubt that you saw him my kind of guy He really is. My kind of guy. Sorry, guys. Out on the porch, smoking. (laughs) All right. Okay. For those of you who are listening to this on a podcast, that's just me joking around. Okay. That's not in the scripture. Cigarettes had not been invented yet. It's a joke. (laughs) No, they didn't know about it. Anyway. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people who had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss were there. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Now, you've got to give Martha some kudos for this action. Here's a woman that's got a problem with Jesus. Now, Lazarus probably has a bigger problem, but Martha (laughs) has a problem with Jesus. She called for him to come days ago. Now her brother's been in the tomb for four days, dead. And she runs out to meet him. You got to admire that. I think Jesus admires that. Meanwhile, Mary, it says, stayed in the house, which kind of sounds typical for Mary, remember? In the other story, you know, we we, we hear about Martha and Mary. Martha's in the kitchen, making the food, getting everything ready, upset because her sister's sitting by Jesus and not helping in the kitchen. And at that particular point, Mary gets all the credit because she's chosen the better thing to be with Jesus. But this is Martha's turn to shine. Martha gets up and hightails it to talk to Jesus. Mary's staying at home. Why? I don't know. Maybe she's lazy. Maybe she's depressed and she can't get up. Maybe she's pissed. Giving Jesus the cold shoulder. Because, you know, that's never been done. But Martha goes to see him. Sometimes I wonder if Martha's the big sister, if, you know, it's just one of those big sister things to do, take action. Little sister goes, my big sister will take care of it. Those of you who have big sisters probably understand that, right? All right. Who knows? I don't know. It's just fun to read the Bible this way and wonder why people like the way they do. Anyway, let's go on. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if only you had been here my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's a rock star. She complains to Jesus. If you had been here, I wouldn't have to watch my brother die, which was hard enough. And then I had to bury him. Which was even harder. If you had been here, I wouldn't have to go through all that emotional turmoil. You let me down. When I asked you, when I went to special lengths to try and find you, when the message got through. If you had been here, My brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. This is faith. This is the real deal. This is the wrestling match with God. This is, I've got a hold of you and I'm not letting go because I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the Holy One. And if you want to turn this around, I know you can do it. Ever prayed that prayer? I know that you could heal me. The question is, will you? No problem. I know that you can fix this. I have plenty of faith. I just don't know if you will or not. You see, this is a relationship. This is knowing Jesus. This is eternal life. And Jesus springs right to that idea. He says, in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. In other words, she knows her theology. She's got that down. She's not asking about that. But she knows. And then Jesus uses this to tell her something new. To tell her the gospel in one sentence. Why did Jesus tarry? So he could show his glory martha as well so he could tell martha who he is so she gets a glimpse more fully of who she's dealing with one of the greatest lines in the entire scripture comes next jesus says i am the resurrection and the life anyone who believes in me will live even after dying everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Martha, I have waited so that I could talk to you face to face and I can ask you the most important question in the cosmos. Do you believe this, Martha? How many times in your life Have things go terribly wrong so that Jesus can look you in the face and say, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in me. Even if you die, you'll never die. Do you believe this? This is the gospel in one tiny sentence. Do you believe this? This is the question that changed my life. This is why there's a scum of the earth church. This is the question every one of us must answer. The primary question. He doesn't say, I can provide for you the life. I can show you the resurrection. These are not gifts that Jesus brings. These are who he is. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you never die. Resurrection and life only comes from a super intimate relationship with himself. That's it. That's the big deal. This is the biggest deal ever. It's why we're here. Knowing Jesus. Verse 27. Fantastic. Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now, let me explain something here. We are getting to know Jesus, and we just got to know Jesus in an extremely left-brain way. His interaction with Martha is all about theology, is it not? It's words of truth that are going back and forth between these two until she finally gets it. That's not the tack he's going to take with Mary because Mary is a whole different kind of person. I would say if you had to figure it out, maybe in your mind that Mary is the artist of the family, that Martha is the marcher and she gets everything done when it needs to get done and Mary is the dancer. And if she doesn't feel like getting up and helping in the kitchen, she's going to stay with Jesus. And if she doesn't feel like getting up and talking to Jesus, she's going to sit in the house. And his way of dealing with Mary is totally different than his way of dealing with Martha because why? He wants them to know who he is. He wants his glory to be revealed. He wants them to see him for who he really is. That's what the whole thing is about, remember? All right. This is awesome. Verse 30. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said... You know, she's dramatic, okay? Lord, if only you have been here, my brother would not have died. Same words, different emotion. Same problem, different way of expressing it. Different reaction from the Savior. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, on the ground, weeping at his feet, weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. We are into the realm of emotions here, folks. I don't know if you've ever been to a different cultures, funeral services, but I know when my mother died, when I was a kid, there was wailing. It was loud. I never saw my grandmother, a pretty quiet lady. She would keen at the top of her voice. Oh, my daughter. Oh, you. You were the one who was supposed to bury me. Not me bury you. And on, why, why, God, why have you taken my daughter from me? All in Greek. (coughs) High-pitched. I can't even get up that high. Falsetto, kind of a keening, wailing thing. And then you've got that going on with all the other mourners doing the same thing. This had to be, I don't know, just... Overwhelming emotionally. And Jesus reacts in an emotional way. He gets angry. The Greek is pretty specific here. It talks about, it's like the stirring up of your emotions. It's agitation. It's anger. Jesus gets ticked off. Isn't this kind of not the reaction you expect from Jesus? Here's a woman crying at his feet, and he's getting ticked. He's getting angry. Do you mean that sweet Jesus, my sweet little baby Jesus, could get angry with me, his supporter, his prayer partner, his buddy, his pal? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the commentators are divided on this because nobody really knows why Jesus got angry. I mean, you could say he's angry at death, which I'm sure death was not his friend. I mean, he considered it an enemy. He came here to abolish death, right? But he waited two more days. So that Lazarus had time to die. So I'm thinking, well, that can't be it, at least in this context. Maybe he's upset at Satan because he knows he's going to be coming into conflict with Satan here pretty soon. You know, I mean, I know that Jesus and Satan have been at it before. You read that in the Gospels. End of the story, Satan gets thrown into the lake of fire. My guess is Jesus is the one doing the throwing. Not a friendly gesture. But I think the context, and I I, I tell you, I have not preached it this way before. I'm constrained by my reading and study of the scripture. This is probably what's going on. Jesus is upset at Mary's lack of faith? Could Jesus be upset at your lack of faith when you get pissed off and talk all sorts of bad smack about him because he hasn't answered your prayers in the timing that you want him to? To answer your prayers in? Is it possible that God could get upset because of the way that you act when he's trying to do something for your own good? When he's trying to show you his glory and try and and, and forge a relationship so you know him better? Is it possible that Jesus could be upset with you? I wanna posit yes. But here's the amazing thing Jesus does not sin in his anger. Totally under control. Watch how he responds to this woman that he loves. Where have you put him? He asked them. He could have blasted her right then. But he doesn't. She just lost her brother. She's frightened out of her mind. He understands that. He's not happy with the way she's responded. He's much happier with Martha and the way she's responded. He still loves Mary. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Jesus cries. We have gone from theological discussions and left-brain arguments to Jesus getting angry and now he's crying. You guys ever had that happen back-to-back, angry? cry? think you have. I mean, I don't know why he cried. One of his best friends is dead. One of his best friends just basically said, I don't believe you. I don't believe in you. think you're a jerk for waiting so long. Let my brother die. I'm pissed. Tell all my friends how I feel. Maybe Jesus is crying because it's just so wrong. If they only knew. I mean, when you're a parent, you're trying to do something good for your kid and they don't like it, like you get upset, you know? I mean, how many times are you going to stand for them spitting out the spinach all over the wall? I mean, you bring kid home from the hospital, you know, he, junior's, you know, used to mother's milk, sweet, warm, whenever he cries, he gets picked up, cuddled, falls asleep with milk dripping out of his mouth. This goes on for months. He understands the drill. Cry, get mother to come over, feed you. It's wonderful. But then, you know, mom knows that it's time for Junior to start having some other kind of nourishment. And so she purees the spinach. Puts Junior in his high chair because he can sit up now. She takes that first spoon of spinach and she puts it in his mouth. And what happens? Bleh! All over the wall. How many times can you take that as a parent before you're getting ticked? You're going, no. You're not going to do that. I'm going to keep putting spinach in your mouth until you finally get it. You're going to get hungry and then you'll eat it. Now, you don't beat the kid. You don't shake the baby, right? But you love him. And I can tell you, there are moms who cry when that happens because they want to just take the kid and give it more milk, but they know that's the wrong thing and they just feel like they're in this between a rock and a hard place. It's a frustrating experience for a parent. I think Jesus may have been frustrated here. He cried. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? (coughs) Next verse. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Of course he was still angry, because now Mary's got him talking smack about him as well. Mary's got all of her friends saying the same thing, and now Jesus is angry again. In the Greek, there's even a therefore. So we know that's why he was angry. Verse 39, Jesus says, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead four days. The smell will be terrible. This is practical Martha again, trying to warn Jesus about what's going to happen when he rolls away, when he has the stone rolled away. It's going to spell. They didn't have embalmers back then. I mean, here's the weird thing there was this common folklore knowledge actually passed down by the rabbis that said the person's soul hung around the dead body for three days before it finally left and went to the place of the dead. So here's the weird thing. If Jesus had come any sooner than four days it wouldn't have been a miracle as far as the Jews were concerned. Because they knew you were really dead as soon as the body started smelling. Now, we know now that that decomposition of cells and organs occurs almost immediately after death. But back then, they didn't know until they could smell your body. Going bad. So Jesus waits for four days. He says, Roll the stone away. Jesus responded Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face Wrapped in a headcloth, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Even in the face of this amazing miracle, some people still are just going to the authorities to try and turn Jesus in because they really don't want to believe. Here's the deal, folks. Jesus talks to dead people, and they respond. Jesus talked to spiritually dead Mike Sayers 40 years ago this summer. And spiritually dead Mike Sayers woke up from his sinful sleep into the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. Conversion is a miracle. You can't do it by any kind of formula. It's got to be the voice of Jesus speaking to your spirit saying, Mike, come forth. John, come forth. Susan, come forth. But what happens before and after that? This is interesting. Jesus tells the people standing around roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. He could have blown the stone up with his laser vision. Disintegrated it. But he didn't. He asked them to roll the stone away. For those of you who know Jesus today, who rolled the stone away? Away from your spiritual tomb. Who did Jesus use? In my life, he used people like Jack and Gretchen Boyd, Scott Johnston, Laverne Dickinson. And I think the stone they had to roll out of the front of my tomb was spiritual pride i I think I was proud. I thought I had my life pretty well together. For other people, that's done something different. You know when when you're broke and you can't pay your rent, when you have a huge accident, and you can't pay your bills. That could be like a stone over the mouth of your tomb. And it doesn't matter what Jesus is saying, you can't hear him unless maybe the people around you who are listening to Jesus actually go and bring you groceries and bring you money for your rent and bring you money for utilities Maybe the stone in front of your tomb is sexual abuse. And you can't hear Jesus talking to you because that abuse is so thick and dense that unless people come around you and love you, in spite of that, and walk with you and live with you, and talk to you about Jesus, slowly but surely that stone is rolled out from in front of your tomb. I don't know what the stones are. There's got to be as many different stones in front of your tombs as there are people who are in this room. Somehow the people around Jesus were participating in the resurrection of Lazarus. They couldn't do it. But they did what Jesus said. And that wasn't the only thing they did. Because when it was all over, after these people had come to Christ, after Lazarus had come to Christ, what was the next thing he said? Untie him. The guy comes out of the tomb, and they would wrap linen with spices. It was hundreds of pounds of stuff. You were like... A mummy man. He could probably barely walk. He was wrapped up so tightly. And people had to come around and undo him. now could Jesus have made the grave clothes fall off with a word? Of course he could. But he didn't. Because this part of the miracle is what people who believed in Jesus had to participate in. Now, let me just say this. There are people who are coming to scum of the earth because they've heard the voice of Jesus say, Come forth. And they come and, and, you know, their arms don't work. Their legs don't work. They can hardly move. They can hardly talk because they're all bound up. And Jesus is asking us to be merciful and take off the great clothes. You want to know the glory of God? Then get with it. Become involved in what Jesus is doing in other people's lives. I'm kind of tired of hearing people complain about the sorry lots of Christians who come to scum of the earth. I want to go someplace where they're brighter, shinier people. With fewer problems, they're not bound up by addictions of substance abuse. They're not bound up by sexual addictions. They're not bound up by lack of education. They're not bound up by a terrible home life. Oh, there are people that I can learn from and relate to. And I'm saying, you know, praise God for those kinds of people. But if you want to get involved, you want to know the glory of God, you want to get to know Jesus and what he's doing, get involved in taking off the grave clothes of the people around you. And you will see the glory of God. You will be as excited as I am right now, right here today, Easter 2012 at Scum of the Earth with the coolest people on the planet. As awkward as you all are, spiritual nerds walking around with your, you know, heads all bandaged up and your feet all bandaged up, I love you guys. I would rather be nowhere else. I've seen God move in amazing ways. Why? Because we're so messed up. It's awesome. I mean, you've seen God take some bandages off of me. I cuss less now in sermons than I used to. So, you know, we all have room for improvement. And because you have stuck with me, I'm closer to Jesus. There's less stuff between me and Jesus. I'm trying to come to Jesus. I'm trying to respond to his call. For 40 years, I'm walking closer and closer, and you guys are taking off my bandages going, Mike, look, you can see him better. If you just take this off your eyes. Mike, look, if I just undo this off your ankles, you can run to him faster. Because this is the glory of God to know and to be known. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. I ask, Lord, that no one, no one who's here leaves without a strong desire to know you more. Let us respond to your call to come out of the tomb, each one of us. And Lord, let us help the other. Roll away the stones and undo the grave clothes. In Jesus' name, amen.